We're continuing in this series, A Letter to Modern Day Colossians. I'm really excited, and I had this thought. This is about 5 o'clock this morning, and it's kind of a, a recurring thought in my mind. You know, you hear, you hear the different stories. It was the old Moody, and he got to a point in his life, and it said, you know, what could God do with a man who was fully surrendered to God? And I had this thought about 5 o'clock this morning. What could God do with a church where people read His Word for themselves, where they pray and say, God, do with us whatever you will do to change this community? Just have your way, Father. What could God do with a church like that? I believe I'm looking at one. That's not to say we're there completely, is it? But reading God's Word, being in prayer together, and let me just follow up with a shameless plug. If you're not in a community group, please pray right now and know there is a place for you to continue walking strongly in your faith and to grow in your faith. Believe me, and Jim would tell you the same thing, I don't care how good Sunday morning is and one message a week. A Sunday morning message for 35 minutes isn't enough for any of us, including me, to think I'm going to go up against a 24-7 Satan and think I'm going to be victorious. We need each other. And the way we get each other and grow together, our hurts, our happiness, our joys, everything in our life, it really does happen in community where transformation takes place. So in modern-day Colossians, written 2,000 years ago, it is exciting for me, and we're going to follow up. Today's message is it must start at home. It must start at home. Last week we talked about, and there were two key points there, and it really was simply this. You are different, and therefore you must act differently. I am different since knowing Jesus Christ. If you doubt that, talk to my wife. Be prepared for a pretty long story, though that's not a simple answer. But because I know Jesus Christ, I should live differently. I should be different. And the world should know that regardless of what I say on Sunday morning. But it's how I should live my life on all of the other days that end in Y. But you know what? In Colossians, God tells us very clearly, we're going to take eight verses right now. I'm going to do something else in honor of my friend Jim. You've been here with him. If you haven't, you're going to get a taste on the 17th. And then there will write according to the bylaws and constitution that our elders have worked a long time to do it right. And you'll hear Jim say this, and I'm going to just prepare for this. I sent him this, and I says, hey, Jim, I'm going to steal this a little bit. But Jim would say at the church... During the reading of the Word, he asked for us to stand. I'm going to ask you, if you're capable, would you grab, whether it's your phone, your Bible, whatever, as we read God's Word for today, please. Just stand with me, if you would. We're in Colossians, the third chapter. We're starting at 18, and we're going to finish this with eight very critical verses. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents 
in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't, so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord in whatever you do. Do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. There is no favoritism. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please have a seat. You know, as we've walked through this thing, the big idea is simply this, the new me and the new life, it's got to be lived out at home before we can take it anyplace else. I don't know about you. We'll just talk about Chuck for a minute. I lived as a chameleon for a long time in my life. People would say, are you a Christian? I would say, yes. But that wasn't really apparent on Mondays or Wednesdays or Fridays or Saturdays. People would say, Chuck, are you going to go to heaven? I said, of course I am. And they said, well, how do you know that? I said, look at the world around. Good grief. I got at least a C plus in this group. Don't you know what I mean? I don't mean you because you're all up above that. I'm on the lower end of this average. But in the world we live in, just try to be nice every now and then, and that sets you in the upper echelon, doesn't it? At least while you're driving, that puts you in the top 5%. But the reality of it is I lived as a chameleon. My home life, Billy will tell you, wasn't always matching up over here with that church life on Sunday. Oh, I, I could look good. Every now and then I had to be honest about it. You know, I've only, <laughs> I've told this story probably before, but at my age, I get to tell them again for the first time. On Sunday mornings, you know, because my job was to drink coffee and read the newspaper. I couldn't figure out why Billy couldn't get the kids ready for church. How difficult could that be? I mean, and breakfast and other things like that. We did have some mornings as Christians, uh, didn't speak much in the car, like not at all going to church, but boy, we hit that front door, man, I look good. I got to tell you, I look great. Well, it was a Sunday morning at Burke Community Church in Burke, Virginia, and we were being received as members. Billy's sitting there going, you're not telling this, are you? And I go, oh yeah, honey, I got to get all this out while I can, you know what I mean? There's about eight or ten families lined up, and we're at the very end of it. And honest to goodness, I knew a bunch of these guys. I knew what they were like during the week, but here we are on Sunday. Oh, I just love my precious little wife. We were high school sweethearts. All we ever did was just hold hands in high school. And then in college, on that one moment, I did kiss her on the cheek, and then we got engaged and we now have the perfect family, one little boy and one little girl, and we're just so happy to be joining this church because we're almost as perfect as all of you. And then they handed the mic to the next family. We heard that story repeated about 10 times. Then they handed the mic to me. Oh, and that's when the fight began. I said, well, I'll just tell you the truth. We haven't spoken to each other since we left the house. We're just happy to get here. 
Honest to goodness, my wife is standing there and she's going, I'm going to kill him. I swear I'm going to kill him, Lord. Get him out of here. And no kidding, she was hoping for the rapture right then to get me out of there. And I said, we've got mornings we don't even speak. We're just happy to come in a church where we can just walk in and be ourselves. And she's going, I'm still going to kill him, Lord. He'll never get out of this. Well, then, as God would have it, three young ladies, brand new, married, kind of, you know, and that. And they said, thank goodness somebody told the truth because that's our family. And so I tell you that because the reason I could say that there is because my life didn't match up at home in many ways. Oh, I tried to be a good person, but don't get me wrong. I tried to match my faith out there for everybody to see, and sometimes I wasn't near as committed to my faith looking right with my wife, my kids, with the workplace. And I'm saying right now that these eight scriptures right here are specifically to tell us how to live at home first, because if it's not going to work at home, it's probably not good enough to export. And if you think you can export something that's not working at home, I think you've missed God's heart on this. We're going to start with that first scripture there, actually two of them. And you know, there's so much in these eight verses. When you talk about the potential, and some of you, I'll bet, have already experienced scriptural, spiritual abuse based on the application of these scriptures. I mean, God just starts right off, and the first one is, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Man, that's powerful. Did you get that one, baby? Okay. Anybody got a yellow highlighter for her? Okay. She's got one there. Oh, she's got a highlighter. Okay, we're good. All right. Make sure you get that one, honey. Okay. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Boy, if there was anything that had room for scriptural abuse on that one, that just starts right there with it. We've got to get these things, and a lot of times we miss the meaning of the Scripture because we lack the context in which it was stated. One of the best teachings on this verse I ever had was a Pastor Jack Hayford. Some of you may know the name in California since gone to the Lord. But one of the things that he described to us there, and he was teaching with all men, so, and he said, here's, here's the issue here on this, right? And I just had a conversation with somebody who said the, the lady in question had a very difficult time even going to church because of the abuse of just this one scripture, and she interpreted it as, women, just be quiet. It's not it at all. It's not the statement. It's not the context. It's not what God intended with that scripture. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of things here. Here again, you can talk to Billy about this, but guys, just listen to me for a minute. Our wives and ladies have a different discernment than we have. Not saying it's better or worse, but in situations, we are very mission oriented. We're looking out here at something, but what's happening here is they're seeing a lot of other things, and the discernment that God gives them is different, and in time, we need to hear it. Believe me on this. But what God is saying here is He's telling the ladies, basically, as wives, you've got two choices. Here they are. You can either allow me to train your men through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a good reason to get them in a community group, right? Or you can take over, right? We had an experience at our house. This is kind of a Chuck and Billy day, isn't it? Why not just get it all out there? Wow. Didn't see that one coming. So I, our family moved here. I was on staff at Promise Keepers for three years. 
had the privilege of working with Bill McCartney. I was able to tell Bill that, because we're Nebraska fans, I was able to tell Bill that, and you know, I still have that t-shirt with you in the Nebraska shirt, Tom. That's going to show up maybe the 9th of September. Okay, we'll let that one go. Here we come. <laughs> let it go, let it go. I was the guy that got to tell Bill that, hey, Bill, three wins and a tie every 25 years doesn't make you a rivalry. It made you a speed bump on the way to the Orange Bowl. Bill didn't like that, but that's okay. He and I got along and prayed for and with each other in the process. But here was the problem. We come in, we're all excited. I'm on staff at Promise Keepers. I've got seven states to develop the ministry in. We're starting from scratch. And here were the BHSs from all the men's conference that had taken place in Boulder. Guys like Gary Smalley, Edwin Lewis Cole. We can go down through these incredible teachers. I made a terrible mistake. I gave them to my wife to watch. My wife would be ironing. And she'd be listening to Gary Smalley tell her what her husband was supposed to be like. It was not a good time when I came home. I mean, literally, she'll tell you, true? You're not asking like a, acting like a promise keepers. I just heard Gary Smalley. I said, Gary doesn't know what he's talking about. Again, sidebar. Gary Smalley, family ministry, marriage ministry, we were talking to Gary one time, and he and I, we were on the same platform talking. <laughs> Go to Hawaii to do a family, I mean, a couple's conference. This is the man she was comparing me to. They go to Hawaii, and they take the whole staff and their spouses. And Gary says, well, the first thing that happened is in the lobby, my wife and I got into a fight. And he says, it wasn't just, oh, honey, you're mistaken. And she says, yes, I was. I'm sorry, honey. It wasn't that kind of a fight. You know what I mean? This was an extended exchange of words with the appropriate body language and everything. Gary Smalley stepped up to the desk to get the keys for their room. And there's a young gal there. And she says, you know, sir, I, I heard you talking to your, your wife. And he said, yes. She says, we have this guy coming in this weekend to do this marriage seminar, and I think there are some slots available. <laughs> and he says, well, think about it. Second thing, same guy that's going to counsel me on marriage, ask his wife. Billy and I are a little bit this way. I do get up a little earlier, but she'll stay up way past my bedtime and just work. He asked his wife, what do you want? We got three days here to begin with before we do this. She says, I want to sleep as late as I can. I don't want anything to disturb me, and I just want to sleep. He says, you got it, baby. We'll do this. The next morning, somehow those words failed Gary. He uh, saw the beautiful sunrise as he was on the balcony drinking his coffee, and his thought was, my wife can't miss this. What do you think he did? He went and woke her up. She said, leave me alone, in love, I'm sure. He says, honey, you can't miss this. He said, leave me alone. He goes, okay. He's looking at the sunrise, and he goes, she, she can't miss this. Second time, she said, I told you, leave me alone. And I think she said, you promised me I could sleep. And he goes, okay, that's right. He goes back, and he's drinking his coffee. Now, listen, ladies, you know this. Some guys, we just think it's cute. But anytime a guy says, I don't know what I was thinking, oh, this is going to get really good. 
And Gary says, I don't know what I was thinking, but my wife could not miss that sunrise. He walked over to the bed. He grabbed the bottom sheet. He pulled her off of the bed, and he drug her across the room to the balcony to, to see that beautiful. That's who my wife is comparing me to, to be a good husband? Even she had to admit we had to lock up those tapes because a lot of what I was doing at home, and I don't think these guys were all that perfect either, but that's who I'm being compared against there. The reality of it is, is that in this context of the words that he's saying, wives, here's what you're supposed to do. And I will tell you, this is a landmine. This idea that, guys, if we look at our wives and we are the ones to tell them to submit, we probably made a mistake. Okay, let me rephrase that. Let me walk over and do that again. Guys, we made a terrible mistake. Because just like I said that the women have the discernment here, and God is saying to them, don't get ahead of me over here. Because submission literally means, what that means is to place yourself under. What God is telling the women there is submit, meaning place yourself under the protection of the covering which the man is supposed to provide physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And what God is saying on this one right here is, is very simply, Guys, we've got to look at this scripture too. When I say it's a landmine, I served two years in Korea. I did a recon. What happened over there is all the maps for the landmines literally got lost. So we would be in a training and all of a sudden we would tell, here's what it looks like, whether it's a personnel mine or whether it's a, you know, for carry. And so all of a sudden I'm in a 113, uh, armored personnel carrier, just me and my driver. And we drive through this training area. We thought it was a training area. We get to a fence, and for those, it's a triangle that hangs on a fence that leads you into a minefield. I said, we've got to be careful. Looks like there's a minefield ahead. I got out of it. I walked up. And what I could see was where it would normally say on this side, you're entering into a minefield. There was nothing on that side. It was on the other side telling me where we had been was the minefield. True story. I got back and I walked the tracks back that I'd been in and I had to back him out using the same tracks coming out of this thing. It's a minefield and we've got to be very, very careful with this and what God is telling us in this process here. We've got to understand that God is saying Christ is the head of the church and the family. He is saying wives submit. But I also want to suggest to you guys We've got to be worthy of submitting to. I don't think anybody would disagree that Christ is worthy to submit to. And so when we sing, submit everything to the Lord, and that's not an easy lesson for us in that process. We've got to do that in such a way that we are worthy to be submitted to. Now, let me just say, that's not by authority. I want to suggest that what God is saying here, and he's going to talk to us guys very, very significantly on this, is the biggest issue that makes a man worthy to be submitted to is trust. You know, we talk about the Lord and we say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. But you know what the biggest issue is? In every area of your life, do you trust God? Oh, love's easy. No, no, seriously. Of the two, if I tell you, love the Lord, trust the Lord, because, oh, man, I love the Lord. I'm here on Sunday. What more do you want? 
but trust the Lord with everything that goes on in our life, every pain that's in our life, every discouraging thing that happens to our life, everything that feels like it's coming apart in our life. And trust is the toughest thing, isn't it? And so we've got to work through that. And even in, you know, this is one of these, if you go to Ephesians 5, God continues to repeat this, you know, in these relationships that we have there. Now, I just want to, I just want to suggest to you that what we don't get in that first scripture, and I know this is a long time on one scripture, we're only going to be here till about two o'clock, just saying in there with me, is the very last part of it. It says, as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. Okay? Now that's going to get followed up, and we're going to talk to the men. Okay? However, let me just tell you something. Billy always gets concerned when I kind of get off on a sidebar that sounds like it's going military instead of ministry. Guys, please listen to me. In this issue to make your wife submit to you, if there's physical abuse, it's one thing, mental, emotional, spiritual. Guys, just listen to me. This part about my military for 23 years, no, I wasn't a chaplain in the ministry. If one of my brothers in this room lays a hand on a woman that's his wife or any other woman, me and a couple of guys will have a community group with you. Do you understand me? And I think we get this just right. It's important. I don't think we say it enough from platforms. There will be a community group surrounding you for a heartfelt conversation in such a way that I doubt if you'll ever forget it. Are we good? Okay. Now let's get to the guys on this thing because he starts off with the wives here and he tells us that. Then we go to the next verse and he says, husband, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. That word bitter there, right, is a very significant word because what the word bitter, when you look at it, babla is the Greek word, but the Greek word really deals with the root of bitterness. What the word bitterness as it's used there is, it's really about don't be bitter toward them. It's really about don't act in such a way that it grows bitterness in them. You see what I'm saying? God uses the term, the root of bitterness. He goes down through this and he says, look, in the root of bitterness in Hebrews, right, he talks about this in 12.15, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. Oh, now we get to another word in here. Because you see, guys, God is calling us in this love that we have for our wives. Now, I know there are men in here and you're not married, okay? Here's what I would suggest. Every husband in here wasn't married before he got married. Follow that thought. You don't just learn this the day you say, I do, but there's a preparation process of modeling, learning, and how do we act? So if you're sitting here as a man, right, you're not married, but God's also saying, look, Treat all of my daughters this way, in such a way that this root of bitterness, but did you get this? That the root of bitterness, you know, springs up. Did you get that growth process there? Springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. The word defilement is something that we don't talk about an awful lot. But that word defilement, when I was looking at that and kind of working through that, what does God mean by that? And he really talks about, one of the commentaries I was reading goes, Unclean in Scripture means 
to be defiled, unclean in Scripture. Unhealthy or unfit refers to foods, things like that, defilement of our character, our moral, spiritual impurity. It really means and describes sinful and unfit condition. Now, let me just tell you, guys, we talk about loving our wives as Christ loves the church. But the result of when we don't, if you, we understand this word defilement is that really, in many cases, we can create in our wives and other women a sinful and unfit condition. Now, let me just hit the unfit condition. I believe, and I love Summit Church, and I think I know Jim's heart. I know what God has plans. Every person sitting in here is gifted by God, called by God, male and female. We don't have a, we don't have a monopoly on the gifting or the calling, men. The gifts and the calling, though different in what God wants from us, Every woman in here is called by God for a specific purpose and reason. Every man in here is called by God. And what he's saying here is, when we get to this issue of defilement, it's really the part about here, it, it makes us sinful. It raises this up. It grows this bitterness in another person. And as a result, makes them sinful and unfit. Just think about that for a moment in all of our relationships. Again, we're just talking about being at home, aren't we? I mean, I know this carries out in these characteristics of how we conduct ourselves, whether it's in a restaurant or someplace else, but God's got great plans for us, but it's got to start at home in that process. We go on to the next verse there, and it says, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. I've reminded my kids of that over and over again. A lot of times it hasn't worked. We're going to let that go. But here's the thing. Where do we start with a verse like that? Here's my suggestion on where we start with that verse. We start with ourselves. You know, because God tells us in Ephesians that all Scripture, all Scripture is meant for us to guide us in our lives. That's God's purpose with this. But when we look at this right here, I want to suggest that a good starting point for this is, are we or are we not children of God? I'm kind of going with a yes on that. Am I not a son of the king? Are you not sons and daughters of the Most High God? Well, if you are sons and daughters, doesn't that make you children as well? Now, here's why I'm saying that. Before we can tell our children that they are to obey, doesn't it need to start with our lives first? I feel pretty safe in this comment that me trying to tell my sons and my daughter and our grandkids to obey, if they're not seeing that obedience in my life first, it doesn't give them much to follow, does it? So when we look at this issue of obeying as children, we can start with obeying first as ourselves. Because I believe you, I believe me when I say there's a lot more caught than taught on a lot of these things. We go to the next verse there. And this is another one of those that just gets thrown around and people use it and abuse it. But it's this idea of slaves. And what God tells us here on that is, you know, he says this, slaves, obey your human masters. I can't tell you the number of times people have 
with me wanted to get in this argument about God, of the idea of slavery, right? Let me just put that in context for us. In those times, slaves were the workers. I'm not defending that practice whatsoever. I am merely saying this. If you want full context, in context, of what God was telling us there, why don't you change the word worker, slaves to workers for everybody here? When he's telling us here, workers, whatever you're doing in life, right, obey those in authority above you. That's what he's really saying. Whatever you're doing, there's someone in authority above you. And if you say, well, I'm self-employed, I'm not under anybody, really? Tell that to the state when you have to file your taxes, your corporate reports, and everything else. You understand what I mean? So we're all subjected and we're submitted or should be to authority. So when we look at this and it just says workers, every one of us, whatever you're doing in life, whatever your authority is, don't just work in front of them while they're watching like people pleasers to make a good impression without doing your very best. One of our core values here is excellence. And it's very important to us here at Summit Church. We want to function in excellence to serve God. But let me just tell you, if all we focus on is being excellent here at church, you know, when people come in and wanting them to feel welcome and people come in and we want them to feel comfortable and at home, but we're not doing operating with excellence in every area of our life, starting at home in order to export that to someplace else, it's probably not going to work, is it? We can only fake it for so long. And it's got to become not what we do, but who we are. That's what God desires for us. It's got to become not what we're doing. Well, you need to do this as a Christian. You need to do this. You need to do that. You know what everything in this book is about? It's about transformation. That's what we just said about community groups. That's where transformation takes place. That's where it happens. That's where we laugh together, we cry together, we do life together. That's where God uses each one of us. And he wasn't kidding when he says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, and we know that means gender there. One person sharpens another person. And that's why we do this. And that's why all that effort's put into that. Okay? So that's what he's saying there. He goes on and he just talks to us about this, you know, wholeheartedly. And whatever you do, just do it from the heart and not from people knowing the reward. And I know it ends with, hey, and if you don't, God will take care of it. You can read that for yourself. But it's really about the fact that let's start at home with this. Let's get this right. Let's go back to the original big idea on this for just a second. And that is simply this. The new me and the new life. Let me just rephrase that and then you can read it for yourself. The new Chuck and Chuck's new life has to be lived out at home before Chuck can think about taking it anyplace else. That's me. The new Chuck and Chuck's new life has got to be lived out in front of Billy, our kids, and our grandkids. Jan, who's our neighbor here, and Dennis and Judy, who's it's got to be lived out there. Because if it's not lived out there, you'll know, and it won't be worth exporting anyplace. And that's what we've got to do with this. What are you going to do with this? What, God's, what is God telling you to do? 
I'm going to give you one last example. Years and years ago, our boys were small, and they came back, and they'd had an overnight, and they sat down and talked to us and said it wasn't pretty. What happened? Well, apparently, the parents had VHSs. Uh, Twelve of you in here know what I'm talking about. You don't even know what DVDs are. Everything's just download and Netflix. But they had their private ones that literally had a lock, as did their alcohol. And kids could come, and they could watch any of the movies. They just couldn't get into mom and dad's movies up here. And the kids there broke into it, and the parents came down, and it was not a pretty scene. I've never forgotten that. Billy and I don't have a separate place for movies away from our kids, and we don't have alcohol locked up. I mean, I used to have a lot of alcohol when I drank. I just didn't lock it up. Who cares? <laughs> There's three people that know what I said there, okay? But here's the thing. But what are the things in your life that you do have locked up at home that you don't want anybody else to see? That's really the question, isn't it? What are the spiritual cabinets that are locked at your house where you put the things you don't want anybody else to see? Because you know we're Christians. That's why we're here. And I want to suggest to you that in this time of response, as we go into this, maybe you ask God, do I have any spiritual cabinets where I keep things locked up because I don't want anybody else to see? And here's a news flash. God knows what they are, and he's already looking at them. Okay? Because this comes back to this. What could God do with a church that read his word, that prayed, that trusted him and said, God, have your way and your will in and through me and unlock all the cabinets I've tried to hide from everybody so I'd look good. What do we have? I think we would have a church that was an unstoppable force and centennial in the areas around. That's the cry of my heart for Summit Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word, even when it's tough. Even when it's tough, Father, we still need to thank you for your word. Your word says in all things we give thanks, not just in the good things. So, Father, I ask that you just kind of open us up, each one of us individually. Father, tell us in what area we have to respond. Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just convict our hearts each person individually, whatever that is. That it's not about a pastor or a word. It's really about what the Holy Spirit does that you sent. And I ask, Father, have your way now. In Jesus' name. And all of God's family said, Amen.